Well, good morning, Journey. There's a psychology professor at Harvard University named Daniel Gilbert, and he wrote an article a few years ago <clears throat> that it was entitled, What You Don't Know Makes You Nervous. And, and in that article, he writes, Americans are smiling less, worrying more than they were the previous year. Happiness is down, sadness is up, we're getting less sleep, we're actually smoking more cigarettes, and depression is on the rise. Why, he asked? Well, most people would say that the reason at that time was the economy. Most people would attribute that, that stress to financial stress or their personal financial situation. But he goes on to say in the article, he says, to be clear, it's not about finances and it's not about any relationships. It's about uncertainty. Uncertainty. So he talks about an experiment that, that they conducted there at Harvard University with, with two groups of volunteers. Group one was going to receive 20, 20 intense electric shocks. Uh, now, I don't know who volunteers for that kind of study, but they did. 20 electric shocks. Group two was going to receive just three intense electric shocks. Now, the difference, the only difference between the two groups is group one with the 20 intense electric shocks were going to be told when those shocks were coming. And group two with the only three intense electric shocks, they did not know when those shocks were coming. And what they found in their, in their study and research was that group two that only had the three shocks had more psychological pain than group one. The side effects that, that they detected were things like rapid heartbeat, per, perspiration, uh, suffering, and stress, so immeasurably more than the other group. And the point he made is that they just didn't know it was coming. It wasn't about what was actually happening to them at the time. It was about the uncertainty of what would happen. Well, if anyone faced uncertainty in their day, it was the disciples of Jesus. You know, when they knew that their Lord and Master, their teacher, their rabbi, was about to depart and leave them, they were faced with uncertainty. We're in week two of this sermon series going through the final discourse of Jesus as we look at John chapter 14 through 17, which is his parting words to his disciples. And he's preparing his followers, his disciples, for the shocks that will come. And he's talking to them directly about what they can expect because he wants to remove uncertainty, not just for the disciples then, but for us now as followers of Jesus. So today, as we look at the first three verses of John chapter 14, we're going to see two things that help us in, in that regard, that remove that uncertainty and prepare us for our future. And it's simply this, believe in who you know and believe where you'll go. Well, it begins in verse 1 telling us believe in who you know. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. He says, don't let uncertainty make you uncertain and don't let troubles trouble you. Well, how is that possible? 
Jesus says, believe in me. That's how. I mean, I, I think our desire, our goal is not to wake up every morning and say, yeah, I'm going to be stressed. I'm going to embrace uncertainty because I don't think we set out with that goal of, you know, saying I want to have a troubled heart. You know, I don't want to fall asleep at night with my mind racing about things in life that keep me awake, can't get me to sleep or wake me up at 3 o'clock in the morning and you can't go back to sleep because you're fretting and worrying. You know, I don't think we set out each day saying I want to feel overwhelmed every morning when I get up. I don't want to feel stressed. I don't want to feel anxious. I don't want to feel the fear every time that we turn on the news. I don't want my heart troubled. Well, Jesus says with tenderness and compassion to his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Well, the answer to that question is how? And hopefully we can answer that today. Because the disciples were sitting there thinking the same thing. You know, they realized that, that their master and teacher is leaving. So when Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled, they're probably expecting their teacher to step in and just fix the problems. You know, change the circumstances. Solve my issues and things will be better, right? And Jesus says, you know, let not your hearts be troubled. The disciples are thinking, okay, just fix it, Jesus. Everything's going to be okay. You're going to make the road ahead easier, right? You're going to remove the obstacles, smooth the road bumps, take care of all those issues, and things will be okay, right, Jesus? But Jesus doesn't do any of that. He doesn't make any guarantees to his disciples for their life here on earth. He doesn't make any guarantees that the road ahead would be smooth. The word that Jesus used there for troubled, it, it literally means to be uh, agitated, uh, to shudder, to uh, be shaken and disturbed. I mean, it's, it's more than just being annoyed. It's more than just being a little upset. It's like life is falling apart. My heart is breaking. Things are just shaken beyond, you know, the foundations that we had been standing on are now shaken. And it's exactly the same word that Jesus used to describe his own heart when Judas had left to betray him. Because he tells his disciples, he says, truly, you know, as one of you betrayed me and Jesus was troubled in spirit, he himself was shaken by what was going on. So the disciples, and to the disciples, in light of his coming to the cross, he's basically saying, look, in the next few days, it might look like your world has fallen apart. It might look like all is lost and that darkness has won and it's going to engulf you, but don't let your heart be troubled. And then, and then he says, you believe in God. Almost this imperative statement. You know, you, you believe in God because of that. Now believe also in me. And the idea is just keep on continually believing. Keep on believing in God and keep on believing in me even when things get hard, even when the road gets rocky, even when life seems falling apart and your heart is agitated and shuddered and troubled. Just keep on keeping on. You know, I think sometimes we get troubled, we get agitated, our heart gets shaken a little bit because our understanding of the sovereignty of God quite isn't as solid as we think it is. You know, sometimes we need a reminder that God is in control. 
that he is in charge, even when our life plans might be falling apart. When we begin to think about God's sovereignty, who he is, that he is the king, and he's still on the throne, then our hearts can be less troubled and less agitated. And that continuation to keep on believing, that means we've got to keep Jesus in front of us every single day. It's not a one, one and done way back when, when you were a child or a teenager, but no, it's that belief of every single day, I believe in who you are, Jesus. So let, let me ask you this morning, what do you really believe in? I mean, Jesus' command of, of believe in God, believe also in me, it doesn't on the surface seem very satisfying, right? It almost seems patronizing. It's not good enough. That's not going to cut it for the stuff that I'm facing. You know, we think, yeah, that, you know, looks good in my Bible, Jesus, but does it really work in my life? So we got to ask ourselves, what do you really believe in? You know, do you really believe what you say you believe when it comes to your faith, when it comes to Jesus as your Lord and Savior? I mean, there's a number of beliefs that we can hold, you know, but we really don't believe what we say we believe. You know, if you say you believe in Jesus, live, live like it's true. Because we all believe, for example, that um, a healthy diet is good for you. Now, we believe that, but do we do it? You know, you might have highs and lows on that one. You know... We believe and we know that exercise is good, but do we do it? Not as much as we should. You know, we, we know for a fact that tobacco is bad, but we don't stop dipping or smoking and using tobacco. That's called incongruent values, where our lives are not lined up with what we believe. And when that happens, it creates anxiety and fear and a troubled heart. The American Heart Association um, talked about how much stress is in our culture today. And this is the advice of the American Heart Association. They said, to relieve stress, examine your values and live by them. The more your actions reflect your beliefs, the better you will feel. I mean, that's coming from the American Heart Association if we live how we say we want to live, if we live according to our values, if we live like Jesus really is Lord and Savior, our stress level will go down. Because when we talk and see the word belief in Scripture, it's always meshed and paired with action. It always has a, a life component to it. It's not just up here. It's not just mental. It's not just knowing something, but it's always an obedience factor to it. It's always reflected in how we live our life. So if we say Jesus is Lord, then begin to live like he is in charge. Now, the word believe can also be translated as trust. You can go either way with our English words. And to trust means that you are literally putting all of your weight onto something. What you trust in is what, what supports you. You can put your, your weight into it. Now, I've seen some of you kind of cruising around church with those non-weight-bearing carts. You know, when you have foot surgery or ankle surgery, you get a little scooter. 
because you're supposed to be non-weight-bearing on that foot or on that ankle. And that's fun for a while. You can kind of whip around on it. But after a while, that kind of wears off, doesn't it? Why? Because you just want to walk under your own power. You want to put your weight back on your foot, back on your ankle, and just go where you want to go. Well, trust and belief means that we are putting our weight on Jesus so that we can keep moving forward. Keeping your weight, you know, on, on something other than Jesus, yeah, it might work for a while, but sooner or later, it's going to give out. So what are you putting your weight on? Now you're probably thinking, you know, I don't need a scooter, I don't need a walker, you can, you can hold yourself up, I can support my own weight, and that works until it doesn't. Sooner or later, you'll crash and burn. Now there's different, different scooters or different walkers that we kind of hold on to in life. You know, we can put our weight on, on our financial situation, you know, on a good retirement account and good money. And, and you know, we think we're okay because our, our income is high and our portfolio is diversified. You can put your weight on family, but sometimes even family can disappoint. You can put your weight on, you know, science or political solutions and you know we can make a long list of what we put our trust in of what we put our weight on to hold us up to keep us moving forward you know we can look at physical health and you know we can look we can look at all these different things but sooner or later all those will give away so we got to ask the question do i really believe in what i say i believe If Jesus is Lord, then he's the one in charge. He's the one that we put our weight on to support our life. So first, believe who you know. But second of all, believe where you'll go. Verse 2 of John 14 says, My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? See, Jesus gives, gives us a promise of place. The hope of God's house, he says, it has many rooms. There's a lot of space there for us. And Jesus is going there to prepare it for us. See, according to Jesus, heaven is a real place. It's not a product of imagination. It's not a product of power of positive thinking. It's not even escapist mentality. Heaven is the place where God dwells and where Jesus sits today at the right hand of the Father. And in the Bible, it's used to, different words are used to describe it. The word kingdom is used, an inheritance, a country, a city, a home. It's the place where God reigns. And when you think about it, God reigns everywhere, doesn't he? The scholar N.T. Wright, he once uh, wrote in his commentary on John, he points out that the only other time Jesus used the expression, my father's house, was back in John chapter 2, and it was in reference to the temple. And for the people of Israel, the temple, that was the place where heaven and earth meet. So Jesus now, with his disciples, he's hinting at a new city, 
a new world, a new house, because he is bringing a new covenant, a place where heaven and earth can meet. God's reign is right here at right, right now. And he's hinting at a time where there is a room for everyone, not just the Israelites, not just the Pharisees, not, not just the religious leaders, but it's for everyone. And he's preparing a permanent dwelling place for us. So when life falls apart, when those troubles trouble you, when the agitations agitate you, when your hearts begin to shudder, we can find rest and comfort for our hearts in the fact that we have an eternal home prepared for us and waiting for us. You know, I, I remember back when, when I was in the Marines, I, I had been gone for just about two years. I went to, after boot camp, came home for a little bit, but then I went to infantry training school and then was shipped right to my duty station, which was on the other side of the world in the Philippines. And that was an almost two-year assignment there. So I, I hadn't been home in almost two years. And after leaving the Philippines, I had two weeks of leave. Um, I came home, and I, I still remember walking in the kitchen door. My parents had put up a, a welcome home banner and just, they, they had cake there. It was like coming home to a party and it felt so good to be home. They, they made me my favorite meal, which was Norwegian meatballs and, and mashed potatoes with gravy and lefse, all that good Norwegian stuff. And after getting home and getting settled, I took off my uniform and I put on my comfy clothes, you know, put on my sweatpants. And it's like, man, it is so good to be home. And I don't know about you, but, but if you've traveled a lot, if, if you've been away and you come home and you just think, man, I'm glad to be home. You can relax because this is the place where you belong. And um, I read the story this week about a London newspaper that held a contest to, to try to define the, the, the best definition for the word home. And the winner of the contest, the definition was, home is a place where you are, where you are treated the best and complain the most. <laughs> and some of your parents are thinking, that sounds about like my kids. I treat them right and all they do is complain. But the poet Robert, Robert Frost also wrote about home. He says, home is the place that when you arrive, they have to take you in. And, and I love that description because it's a great description of the home that Jesus is pre preparing for us. When we have Jesus in our life, when he is our Lord and Savior, that, that home of heaven is a place where they will take you in. So Jesus gives us not only a, a promise of a place, but he also gives us this promise to return. He, he goes on to write in verse, uh, verse 3, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. So this promise is, is not just a place, but it's this person, it's this relationship that we can have with Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to come back. I'm coming again. You know, in, in the New Testament, um, there's something like 318 direct references or allusions to the fact that the Lord is going to return and take us to be with him personally. So we can trust in Jesus because his departure is purposeful. We can trust in Jesus and believe in 
believe in him because he has accomplished the work of the Messiah. You see, Jesus came to this earth to restore a relationship, the possibility of a relationship with God the Father. And we can believe in him because he has accomplished that work. He has done what's necessary to remove the sin factor and and allow us to have that relationship with God that he's desired to have from the very beginning. So Jesus is preparing that place based on that relationship, and he's come back to build that relationship with us and take him to be with him. You know, Tim Keller, in in his book, Making Sense of God, he he gives a, a, a good illustration of what this anticipation looks like. He goes on to describe the story of two women that were identical in in every way, from the both uh, same socioeconomic background, uh, the same same, uh, home life, um, and these women were really uh, identical. And they're both given an identical job at a factory. The factory was an assembly line where they just had to put part A into part B, and they had to do it eight hours a day on this assembly line. The work was repetitive, the work was boring, but even their work environment between these two women was exactly the same. Same room, same lighting, same temperature. They both worked the same hours, they both had the same breaks, they both had all the same ventilation, everything was identical. The only difference was that at the end of one year, Worker number one was told they were going to be paid $30,000 at the end of the year. The worker number two was going to be paid $30 million at the end of the year. And after a couple of weeks, the, the work, first worker was just complaining, you know, talking to the second one. She started looking for different jobs, whining about the situation. And the second one just said, I whistle while I'm working, just loving it. And he, and he goes on to say that it's not so much about the amount of pay, but it's about the expectation of the future, knowing that something better is coming, knowing that, that there's something better in store. And when we have that mentality, when we can think about the future, what God has in store for us, we can, we can put up with a lot of junk that the world gives. We, we can look at the trouble that the word world gives and, and we can say, Jesus, I'm going to rest in you and our hearts will be stilled. We, we can look at the trouble of our family, the trouble of our relationships, and we say, Jesus, I know that, that you have a better relationship in store and our hearts can be comforted. We, we can look at you know, all of the stuff all of the, the evil that's in our world, all of the addictions, all the stuff that we, we just know is not God's desire. And we can say, my heart can be stilled because I know there's something better in store. You know, Jesus wants to take all of us to be with him day in and day out. I'm gonna ask the praise team to come back up this morning. And as they do, you know, when, when I was a young child, we, we would go on vacation um, every summer. Tip, typically, our vacations were camping. You know, we had a little pop-up camper, and, and we would head out camping. But every now and then, we'd, we'd hotel it, you know, if it was a special trip. And this, this was when I was young, so it was pre-internet days and pre-cell phone days. 
And when we were traveling to find out if there was room at a hotel, dad would have to pull up to it and stop and ask. Or he'd pull up and look for the neon vacancy or no vacancy sign. And we'd always pull up to the hotels with this sense of anticipation and wonder. Is there room? You know, can we stay here? Did they have a pool? You know, that kind of anticipation. And I always trusted my dad that he would find us a place to stay. If this hotel didn't have it, he'd head on down the road and he would find us a place to stay. So how do we let our hearts not be troubled? How do we find peace today? Well, believe in who you know. Put your trust, put your weight in Jesus. But also believe where you'll go because there's a place in heaven for us. Believe in the, in the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross and believe in the relationship that he has for us. So put aside your, your walker called work Put aside your non-weight-bearing scooter called financial security. Set that aside and put your weight on Jesus this morning. Let me encourage you to do that as I pray today. Father, thank you that we can put our trust and weight in you. Father, we thank you that as we put our life in your hands, you will hold us up. You can calm our troubled hearts. You can still our, our worry. You can bring peace into our lives today. So, Father, may we trust in you with everything that we have. May we believe you as our Lord and Savior, and may we rest in the fact that there is a better place for us. So we thank you, Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.